Anyway, we're now going to head to Christchurch. We're going to catch up with one of the finest gentlemen I know, Garth Galloway. Hi, Garth. Uh, uh, you're nice to hear about the social life of um, the producers. Wonderful. <laughs> hey, um, Garth, uh, I was going, trying to catch up with you in Christchurch about a week ago, but you're playing golf. How do, how do we go on the golf? How do we go on the golf? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, very badly arthritic knee, so um, struggling to perform as well as I would like uh, and wanting a surgeon to do something about it but not being able to find one. <laughs> I can suggest Matt Brick. Many people will be familiar with that feeling, I'm sure. Yeah, Matt Brick in Auckland, I suggest. Highly regard him, former world duathlon <laughs> champion. World class All on right. knees. Um, Garth, um, so, so what's your handicap? Uh, nine. So, oh, okay, uh, well, you, years ago, you play well, eh? Well. Well, a long time ago, I was on a six, and then I gave up for 20 years with three children under three and a half. And, you know, you go back to the game and you never – you remember the way you used to play it, but mm. it, I have to say – um, it's not the same. It's not the, the way I did used to play it. I had a lot more feel in those days. Mm. But I battled back. <laughs> have you ever played Moody Way? Uh, well, I was going to say, when I heard you talking to Ben, um, uh, we played when I was living in Wellington in the late 1980s, early 1990s. We would go away with a group of us, and, and Moody Way was one of our favourite courses. Uh, the, the other one, the Lynx course that I loved, was Parapara Umu, near you know, yeah. the start of Wellington. Yeah. But, Mirawai is a very special course, and um, and and I do think for you know for those poor people out there, they've had such a tough time. All around Tarafiti, you know, it, yeah, New Zealand. It's an interesting time, isn't it, with climate change and all of these things that are going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, look, another T20 game uh, tomorrow against Pakistan. I'll, I'll be honest, uh, Garth, I haven't really watched any of this um, because. I'm struggling with the meaning of it, but there are other people out there that yep. do enjoy it and maybe is um, just enjoy it for what it is. Um, have you managed to watch any of it? And the fact that Pakistan have won three games and New Zealand just they've won two, so so they've won two. It's two one, and, and the other one, one. Remember, there was a big yeah, there was a big hailstorm, and um, oh, so okay. there's one more. T- one more tomorrow. I think I'm right. Ben oh, no, you're you, right. Uh, sorry, sorry. I'm looking. No, I'm looking. Yeah, no, I've got ESPN Crick Info up, and they've got a game down that was actually played in November. So they're looking at the head to head, the last five matches. My apologies. Yep. No, not at all. So, so I mean, you know, to be 2 1, um, and they were battling away quite well in that fourth one before it was hailed off. Uh, yeah, they, they've actually they've done reasonably well, but it, it's almost in spite of themselves. When you look at that New Zealand side, there are so many players missing, mm. as you know, Mark. And, and I do think, and you and I have talked a lot about trying to bring new players through. So it's a good opportunity for that. But again, if you look at the New Zealand batting averages, uh, you know, Latham 29, which is passable in T20 cricket. Bose, they're trying to get going. He's averaging 22. Um, he's had one, you know, one good innings of 54, in that, but only scored 88 runs. And then see Mitchell's down at 14, which is unlike him. Young at 8.5. Uh, Ravindrant, 7.6. So that it's a batting that hasn't fired. The player who has been, I think, outstanding and really impressive is, is Mark Chapman. And Latham's been pretty good as well. But Chapman, mm. uh, four innings, highest score of 71. He's got 186 runs and he's only been out once. So, and a strike rate. I might add, of 157. So he's been a real find. And I wonder now, uh, you would have to think that he would feature strongly uh, in New Zealand's World Cup bid later in the year in India. Do we need a, do we need a, 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 a T20 coach coaching the New Zealand T20 team? 
I think we do, um, and, and that's not a criticism of Gary Stead. I, you know, my feeling is that, and I might be wrong, but I, my feeling is that his his niche is in the test game, uh, you know, and he's done well with this New Zealand side. I mean, you know, the, the ODI team has performed well consistently for a long period of time, and they're just starting to have started to drop off a little bit. Uh, and, of course, as you know, Williamson's not going to be available for the World Cup, and that'll make a huge difference. But to come back to specialist coaching, uh, I think uh, for T20 cricket, yes is the answer. Uh, I have watched this year a little bit more of the IPL. I found that, you know, when it first came in, Mark, I, I was fascinated by it. But in, in the recent years, I've drifted off, but you can now watch these highlights packages. Yep. And, and I do find them quite interesting. You can get through it pretty quickly, 12 to 15 minutes of highlights. And what it does show is, you know, I mean, Fleming with Chennai, always seemingly doing well um, and coaching a key part of the game. So I, I think for an international to coach, to coach test cricket, ODI cricket and T20, it's a huge ask. And I think there's an absolute justification for splitting white ball and red ball. Yeah, it's interesting though, Garth, because you mentioned those highlight packages and you sit down and it's just basically a big smash fest. Well, so the average yeah, person the average person sitting back going, well, how much technical and tactical else do you actually need? I.e., so, you know, what are the intricacies of it? Why, you know, what is it that Stephen Fleming's doing uh, that perhaps other coaches aren't doing? I, I mean, talk me through um, what the role of a T20 coach is and and what separates good from great. Well, you know, it's a, it's a really... I mean, the thing about T20, which I think uh, makes it... And, and when you're saying talking about the highlights, I, I agree with you. It does become a lot of, you know, huge number of fours and sixes. Uh, and the thing about it that seems to make the game a hit fest is that the pitches are near perfect. So as you and I have talked about in the past, who would be a bowler mm. in these conditions? Um, but clearly there are there are ways of training these players. I was interested to see a news clip the other day of Chapman in the gym and and using weights in a way which clearly indicated that he was going to pull the ball across the line and he was strengthening that movement and his that biomechanical thing that they all worry about. Um, and he's got very good at it. Um, I, I agree with you that there is, uh, and again, when I think of test cricket, I think of chess. And you know, a slow yep. game that can be played over a number of days where a captain can manoeuvre and a coach. And, and if something doesn't work, you go to another plan and another plan until something does. Uh, 50 over cricket, I think, has, has room for that. And I think the game is far more interesting than people give it credit for. And I hope in a way it doesn't die, but I think it might be the victim uh, between the three forms of the game. 2020, yep, I agree, there is, there's a lot of hit and, uh, you know, almost as we used to talk about golf, you know, on bad, for bad golfers hitting and giggling. But having said that, Mark, there's no, there can be no coincidence that teams like Chennai consider to be at the top, and Fleming has been there for some time. So, you know, there has to be a role. The other thing around it has to be the strategy around what you do in the power play, uh, the, the the bowling throughout is interesting, how you rotate the bowlers, the selection of the sides is interesting as well. Mm. But I agree with you. It does become a little bit less interesting when you see boundary after boundary after boundary. I would, I think I saw one ball bowled, a wrong one, um, in one of the games that I watched overnight, 
Um, and a, a ball, Rongan came back and bowled um, the one of the Cheno players, and it's one of the very few balls that I've seen move off the pitch from spinners as well. Mm. So, it, it, for me, I would just love to see mm. more movement. I don't mind if, if sides are fighting over 120. How much emphasis then is placed now on fielding? I mean, yeah, everyone's been able to field in the past. You put a guy down at fine, you know, fine leg, third man, um, but. When you're dealing with such small percentages in a game that is just dominated by the bat, are you seeing uh, are you seeing the um, Jonty Rhodes type players now six seven deep in a side? Uh, good question, Chris Harris. Yes, you know, and, yep. Uh, yes and no. So, so what do you see? And again, I'm looking at highlights packages because I don't want don't want to watch the whole game. But what you do see is some brilliant fielding in the inner circle, uh, some, some quite incredible stuff, and run-outs where the players have got one stump to aim at, and, and they hit it. And some of the run-outs are, are quite remarkable, the level of skill. Um, on the other hand, what, what I've been surprised about is the, the lack of really uh, good, committed uh, diving with results on the boundary. So there are a lot of players running over the top of the ball or just letting it cross the boundary and, and, and not diving. And it's been quite interesting. And the commentators haven't really commented on it, but I, I've been disappointing. You've seen a lot of catches dropped, but generally I think if you looked at the quality of fielding 20 years ago and where it is now, I think you would say that the standard has been lifted across the board. So, uh, you know, the weaker fielders are much better than the weaker fielders of yesteryear. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's where the I, I still think that's where the innovation and the evolution is. And I think cricket can oh, st- still still look yeah. at the way baseball do things. You know, a lot of you know even the ability to, to run between the bases and how quickly you can do that. And there are so many little tests that baseball do in terms of determining um, talent outside of just clearly hitting. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, the thing about the T20 competition in, in India, though, is it gives India a massive advantage because half, you know, half the composition of the teams is mainly made up of Indians. So it, it, it is an incredible competition in their conditions. What's difficult for them, though, is, of course, when they travel. But I do think that a competition like that gives them a huge advantage in the World Cup. And again, it, it's a 50-over game, so it's different. Uh, but the skills are basically the same. You're just seeing players who are a little bit more restricted. Coming back to the coaching and just thinking about uh, the, the, the question you were asking me about that, um, I've been quite surprised at times about, uh, we saw Chenna overnight scoring 234 in a game. It was incredible. And uh, I think they were playing KKK. And, and when you see um, the, what, what we've seen in that was the bowlers missing their length a lot. So it, it is surprising at times. I'm sure that the players have a plan, but at times you don't see it being executed particularly well. And and I'm sure, again, you talk about coaching and fielding. These sides have fielding coaches. You know, they have an overall coach. They'll have a bowling coach and a batting coach. So, you know, again, for, for you and I who aren't inside those camps, it is quite difficult at times to know who's influencing what. And, of course, the players are incredibly experienced as well. Uh, but overall, I look at the teams which are successful and the coaches are very good.
14 minutes after 8, you're listening to SENZ. My uh, guest on the programme is cricket commentator and cricket aficionado, Garth Galloway. Garth, um, I was given an article a couple of weeks ago which we were going to follow up on a a day programme here and it was pretty much saying that Australian cricket and those that tend to write about the game are concerned about the continued development of the IPL, the IPL looking to Mm. buy other tournaments around the world, one in Saudi Arabia, which is going to be very, very lucrative. To the point where players are going to have to ask permission from the IPL franchises to go and play for their countries, not the other way around. Um, How concerning is that? And how, how do national bodies in the ICC alleviate those concerns knowing just how powerful and how much money is involved with Indian cricket? Well, it's a political game, isn't it? And and I think part of the problem is there is possibly a lack of courage around this. The IPL has got a way on itself. And, uh, you know, the idea that players have to get leave to play international cricket is pretty awful. And if you look at New Zealand at where things have got to, and one of the things that we're, we're, you know, really struggling with over here is Trent Bolt. Mm. And, you know, for me, I think Bolt was absolutely entitled to a break from his contract. He should be allowed to do what he wants. Um, He's done an awful lot for New Zealand cricket. But again, conversely, uh, my feeling is he should be playing for New Zealand when he's available. Um, You know, I feel that New Zealand have taken a very stubborn line Mm. on that. And he's a player who's done enough to, to be able to say, but uh, you know, they want to have the loyalty thing, and they're saying, well, we're going to look after the players who are contracted. But I do think the thinking is going to have to be a bit more innovative than that mm. in the future, because players, a lot of players, are going to want to play in the professional leagues because of the money. Uh, it's a problem that's been signalled for a long period of time, and if if they're to be retained in the international game, then there has to be cooperation. problem from the ICC, of course, is, uh, as I said at the start, Mark, I, I don't see a whole lot of courage from them in terms of um, of saying, right, this, this is the way the game's going to go. I, I tend to feel that they kowtow more hmm. uh, to the Indian, to the BCCI and so on. So um, it's a real worry, and it's the sort of thing that once it gets away on you, it's extremely hard to retrieve it. Uh, so, and, and, and you know, you worry about the people and, and how much they understand the history of the game and how important that is for the future of the game. Yeah, and that's why I think legacy needs to be something that young kids Correct. understand from a young age, the importance of legacy, and that you, you, it's sometimes that's an intangible. And you, you look at the likes of Sir Richard Hadley, I guarantee they're still making a lot of money off the back of what they've achieved in the game, even at 60-odd years of age. I, I guess the one thing that, Test cricket will always have, or international cricket will always have, is you've got no market value until you've proven yourself at international level. Yeah, I agree, and and also I think, I mean, and you you you're obviously extremely uh, familiar and well versed in in triathlon and Ironman and all of those sorts of events, which are long events which take an awful lot of aptitude, fortitude, you know, the uh, concentration, toughness. And test cricket has always been that battle. You know, there's no other game mm. that I'm aware of that's played over five days. Chess might be, but I don't think it's quite as taxing. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard. And to work out in the conditions, how are you going to get a particular player out? What is the plan that we're going to set here? And it may take, you know, 10, 15, 20 overs to try and achieve that. It's just, it's hard work. And for a, for a batsman or a, a batter uh, in testing conditions, 
you know, again, that test of character, the toughness to allow the ball to hit you instead of ballooning it up in the air and so on. It, you know, it's a very rare thing, and that fight between you know Leather and Willow that we've talked about for years is such a wonderful thing. Yeah. And preserving that character is important. Yeah, and again, that's why you know Test cricket has to be at the forefront. I think that's why everyone's looking towards the Ashes because we have to say to people, actually, your place in history versus a large mansion in a swimming pool, <laughs> which is yeah. you sort of feel what it's going to come down to, don't you? You've got to make that decision. Yeah, you do. And um, but I think for younger athletes, there will be, and it's fair enough, there will be a lot of younger cricketers who will be simply wanting to make it. Look, I mean, look at a player. Um, in New Zealand like uh, Finn Allen um, uh, I think yet to, to deliver on his talent at international level truly but obviously a player where there are great, great hopes about him now mm. um, where where's he going to put his thing well he, he's first and foremost you would think going to want to have a successful white ball career for New Zealand but you know who could blame him if he mm. wanted to play in the IPL, if he wanted to go to the new Saudi Arabian League, if he wanted to play in mm. South Africa, if he wants to go to mm. the Caribbean. The thing that I think is fascinating about that, Mark, is that I haven't watched mm. any games in the South African League. I haven't watched any in Pakistan. I have absolutely no interest no. in them. And, and so it's, it, what is interesting is, how, is where the revenue is coming from, how long that can be maintained as well. Yeah, well, this article was basically saying Test cricket can be basically reduced to about five playing nations, New Zealand being one of them, yep. pretty much saying South Africa might be gone. Uh, they were saying that actually T20 cricket's actually ironically saved West Indian cricket because they don't reckon they'd be playing a lot of cricket at all if it wasn't for T20 due to the influences yeah. of basketball and other sports. Well, I read that article. I, thought, I mean, it was fascinating. And again, if we think back to those, it, it's actually it's hard to believe the position that West Indian cricket's in, isn't it? Because... If we go back to that side of the 1980s, um, they were they were extraordinary. And we all talk about the the bowlers and the five or six players who could bowl at 140 k's consistently and coming from a height. Some of them six foot seven, and others Malcolm Marshall and Andy Roberts who were much shorter but could bounce bounce batsmen out, and they were vicious in a way and compelling. And when a side can put four of those players on the park, you barely needed to have a spin bowler. So it wasn't necessarily particularly well, it was entertaining in a different way, in a brutal sort of way. But to see where the West Indies have got to now, uh, you know, it, you, you can see that so many of their athlete, athletes have drifted off. Players, mm. because you know, when I was growing up, I, I, I think we just felt that the West Indian side would always be like that. Mm. Uh, and you know, needless to say, they're not. Mm. Garth Galloway, lovely to have you on the program. Great discussion. Thank you for your insight. Good to be with you as always, Mark. Cheers.